we're honored to have Fred with us again. Fred Sanders uh, is a professor at Biola University and has written uh, many, many uh, good books. Uh, two of them I've read from cover to cover, The Triune God and The Deep Things of God. Um, not being fully uh, in the world of scholarliness, as you can tell by that word I just used. <laughs> um, I think the deep things of God um, is more of my speed. The, the, the triune God uh, is, is probably slightly deeper, I would say, but uh, both really worth reading. And I liked reading the deep things of God, then moving on to the triune God, because then, then it made the triune God, like the, the challenges of the triune God with being a little bit deeper, um, I liked it. It was like above me, but yet I wanted to reach out and grab it a little bit. So I'm thankful. Thank God that you wrote both these books and uh, other books as well. Fred, thanks for joining us today on our on our podcast. Glad to have you here with us today. Yeah, it's good to be back, Gary. Yeah, and we we had some really good questions at uh, at the end of uh, the, the when we split those last episodes up. That um, and I was I was I was excited because. A lot of times the questions we'll get sort of like, uh, uh, will you pray for us or my family has this need? And I love that as a sort of the pastoral part of my heart. But uh, when you came on as our guest, we got more uh, you know, questions uh, about doctrine, about God, his nature, his character. And man, I, I enjoyed that. That was nice breath of fresh air to <laughs> those issues. So um, so let me just hold that up. That's the triune God. I'm sure you've seen that before, Fred. Have you? Uh, I should get you to, to sign one of these for me and send it back. Be, I like that. And uh, so, I, I was introduced to you, Fred, by my son. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of students you may not remember, but Evan Wilkerson, my son, took took your class on the Trinity. Mm. He's the one who first gave me the book, The Deep Things of God. And uh, so and that's why I wanted to have you on that first time. And now back here this again with us. So are you... Um, it's a really odd question, but uh, are you you're not done with the Trinity yet? You're not like <laughs> bored, and you kind of like covered it all. You you know it all. You got all the ground covered. Uh, is there still some things about the Trinity that mesmerize and intrigue and overwhelm you? Yeah, yeah, and those are the those are the key words. Um, you know, some some academics approach their scholarship as you know problems to solve. Like, what are the mm-hmm. trying to do meaningful work? What are the issues? What are the problems? What are the things to sort out? Um, I can work in that mode, but my my academic work on the Trinity is not mostly about trying to finally get this thing sorted out and solved, right? I actually think, no, we've, it's the Christian doctrine of God. We, you know, it's, it's not primarily a problem. It's primarily a vast, wonderful field uh, in which we can study and learn and, and connect the dots and kind of show the big picture. That's the sweet spot for me as a teacher. Um, because I teach at Biola University and the Tory Honors College, and uh, my students are coming in. They're Christians. Um, a lot of them have uh, very solid um, church backgrounds and faith backgrounds, um, and they know plenty of stuff. But um, for me, the odds are always on, uh, can I connect the dots and show them how the various things that are in their minds as Christians actually go together, um, how they fit with the Bible, uh, kind of helping make sense of, of what we know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Through through your writings and some of the content you gave us last time you were on our podcast, um, I think I found a few. I guess I call them gaps in my understanding of of the Trinity, things that I just took for granted. Uh, pro- probably one of them being my bent towards seeing all three persons of the Trinity as you know without acknowledging it but seeing them as three different entities almost like three gods I would have never said that you know, I'd have known I'd be a heretic but just 
practically the way I was living it out. Like uh, I'm going to spend some time with the father and then tonight I'll go see Jesus. And, you know, it just seemed, uh, so, so what would you say are the, so, you know, between people like myself that, that hear you teach and read your stuff uh, and the students that you teach, what are some of the major gaps that you see people uh, lacking in a, in a biblical comprehension of the Trinity? Yeah. Um, so the Christian doctrine of God, you know, it's big. You read the whole Bible and you take a step back from it and say, what does this basically communicate about who God is? And it's, you know, red cover to cover. It's that the, the one God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and that in the fullness of time uh, for our salvation, the Father sent the Son and Spirit, you know, in the incarnation and in the Pentecost outpouring um, recorded in the book of Acts. Um, and then you kind of live with that and reread the Bible and, and go through your Christian life. And there are some sort of uh, besetting um, errors, I think, that people fall into. Uh, one is the one that you mentioned. It's a kind of um, kind of a serial monotheism, you know, sort of like first the <laughs> Father and then the Son and then the Spirit. And somehow it's all one God. But I, if, if you never take the time to sort of draw that out and think about how the oneness of God, how the unity of God um, it's not done away with it. You know, it's not like, oh, it's one God in the Old Testament, but it turns into three in the new. It's nothing like that. As you pointed out, as soon as you say things like that explicitly, you instantly recognize them as, well, that's not what I think. You know, I was, I was accidentally lapsing into a kind of tritheism, um, but all I needed was someone to ask me, you don't really think that, do you? Right. For me to be able to say, oh, no, of course I don't think that. Yeah. But it's trying to keep the the two things in mind at once, the the oneness of God, the unity of God, which God is very serious about in the Old Testament and never takes back. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and also the, the distinct personhood of these three who are related to each other, um, you know, by by nature uh, within the one being of God. Yeah, well, that's where you know, uh, what you're teaching and I've interviewed a couple others on the Trinity in the last few months. So, so the pendulum has certainly shifted for me away from, okay, you know, I want to be careful not to do this tritheism deal. Um, but as I hear you guys talk, I'm almost like now I'm wondering like, okay, where are the, where's these person things? Cause it sounds like one just was begotten. The other was spirited out or whatever you would call it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it almost sounds like they don't really have much of a personality or a, uh, an individual being, um, you know, especially when you start thinking, okay, you know, anything that Jesus did or does, the Holy Spirit's there, the Father's there, they're not separate. And so right. are they really, can you, can you speak for a few minutes to how we can hold and whether it be balance or tension or whatever the right word would be yeah, for the separateness and the oneness? Yeah. Um, and, and just to, just to focus for a second on the fact that the, the way these um, sort of go together and mutually illuminate each other is, uh, you know, in software, you would say it's a feature, not a bug, right? Okay. It's actually, if you get on the right side of it, you realize, oh, actually, there's something that I want to continue to be true about the fact that I can't focus on the unity of God without it. it sort of bursting forth into the threeness of the yeah. persons. And I can't focus on any person of the Trinity without sort of the unity of the one triune God coming back into my mind that the, the fact that these are um, moving in and out like that is um, it, it's actually an advantage. Um, it's sort of like when I think about my family, gee, I, I try to think about just my wife all by herself, but then immediately our children crowd into my mind. And then I think about my children and, you know, my wife comes back into my mind and I don't, you know, I don't want to say like, 
no, why can't I focus? What's, you know, why, why are these things so closely tied to each other? Um, Gregory of Nazianzus in the um, fourth century uh, said in one of his books um, that you can get now is the book on God and Christ. Um, uh, he said, I, I can no sooner, no sooner do I think about the oneness, the, the, the brightness of God's unity then the three persons crowd into my mind and I am drawn to think about them. And no sooner do I think about the three persons than the oneness of God shines brightly in my mind and I'm illuminated by that. He was saying that as an act of praise. He was saying, yeah. this is good. This is a properly functioning Christian mind and heart um, is always um, drawn in these multiple directions uh, because of who God is. Later on in the 16th century, um, an anti-Trinitarian teacher like Michael Servetus um, says almost exactly the same sentences, but for him, it's a complaint. It's like, I can't even think about the oneness of God without being harassed by the idea that somehow he's three persons. And then I can't think about the persons without being annoyed and irritated by the, the concept of oneness. And um, he would say, it's not even coherent. You can't, you can't think these two thoughts at once. So it's interesting to me that the same thing Nazianzus identified as cause for praise of God's greatness um, for, for someone like Servetus was a, a cause for complaint. Do you, would you be able to help us think through that a little more in the sense of um, the, the kind of the why behind it? Why would one person take the word of God and, and see that as a complaint and another look at this, that and, and, and like, as you said that, man, that my heart start, started leaping. That's like, that's, that's precious, man. That's, that's the stuff of God, you know? And so yeah. uh, but, uh, it, it's, uh, I know you're not a, you know, your, your premise is not psychology here, but I'm asking you <laughs> sort of a psychological question here as to, to the, why do you think, cause you, you, you've come across a lot of students probably one, one way or another a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the presuppositions I think underneath all of that is, um, if you're a certain kind of rationalist, then you want everything to make a certain kind of cut and dried sense. And when God fails to do that for you, mm. <laughs> then, um, you know, you're going to experience, uh, you're going to reject um, what is known of God. This is where I, where I always point to the fact that we know as Christians that God exceeds our understanding. Like um, we shouldn't have contradictory or self-refuting concepts about God in our head. That would be that's as bad as doing math wrong, right? You can't think like, you know, God is both A and not A at the same time in the same sense. That's like, okay, you're just saying incoherent sentences. Don't blame God for that. God is a mystery, but we do need to have clear thoughts about him uh, to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if your underlying presupposition is a kind of a hard rationalism, which is like everything about God's nature will make sense. Um, in a kind of a, you know, reductive, hard rationalist way, then of course, you're going to be upset about that. So part of it's just releasing into, into um, praise, uh, the fact that God exceeds our understanding. Is it Augustine who said, uh, if you understand it, it's not God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that uh, makes me think of, um, uh, I'm not good with addresses. Is it Ephesians one where it talks about the surpassing knowledge of God? Um, that 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 seems that seems to almost be what you were talking about just a second ago, somewhat contradictory. It's it's knowledge. I know it. I know the knowledge of God or the love of God or the yeah. grace of God, but it surpasses that. I don't I don't know it. So with the Trinity, it's kind of the uh, here you see it's some of the same thing. It's it's we have a knowledge of the Trinity, but it also is infinitely surpassing 
our knowledge and that should turn to praise rather than anger or confusion or right yeah yeah you're quoting the prayer paul's prayer in ephesians 3 which is that we would know the love of christ which surpasses knowledge yeah 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 so yeah and paul's not hiding it right he if he were trying to conceal the fact that he was contradicting himself he could have concealed it a lot better in in that prayer (laughs) in ephesians 3 he puts it very clearly like here's my prayer for you that a miracle would happen in your in your um, mind and your spiritual life so that you would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Yeah. And that, that, that way of stating it sort of paradoxically is supposed to lift our minds up um, into the mystery. Yeah. Let me also say uh, on behalf of sort of clear philosophical statements, you can take that prayer to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and you can distinguish the meaning of no in the two parts of that prayer, right? You can say, so that you can know by acquaintance that which surpasses knowledge by comprehension. Yeah. Right. And that would, um, once you get the benefit of the paradox, you also want to say, but I don't want to just be irrational. How can I know the unknowable? Here's a clear, you know, let me straighten my tie and give the clear philosophical answer. You can know by comprehension that which you can, I'm sorry, you can know by acquaintance that which you cannot know by comprehension. Comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do with people all the time. Right. Yeah. I know, I know certain people by acquaintance. I would say I know them intimately, but I wouldn't say I absolutely grasp everything about them. Right. Yeah. And how much more so with God? That's uh, I'm working on a book now on the attributes of God and I've given myself sort of self-imposed deadlines. And the last chapter has been on the incomprehensibility of God up to this point, omnipotence, omniscience. I've been uh, pretty timely. I get to this incomprehensibility and I'm six weeks behind now because I'm just sort of like, um, I can't comprehend incomprehensibility, you know, because he's, he's uh, there's a, uh, there's a systematic theologian named Vincent Chung. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but uh, uh, you know, he kind of sort of, and I don't want to get off the Trinity too much here, but just as we're talking a little bit about comprehending, um, you know, he, he, he takes the, the, the tack a little more of, well, no, wait a minute. He's not incomprehensible. Uh, we can know him. He's very knowable. That's the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Is That's what it's all about is to know him. Mm-hmm. But I think it misses the mark just slightly in the sense of, uh, you know, that, that word incomprehensibility has changed over time. It, you know, it used to meant you can't grasp it. And, and now it means sort of uh, irrational or, uh, you know, like if I were to tell you today, uh, Dr. Sanders, thank you for being on, on our show today, but you were totally incomprehensible. <laughs> I, would, I would know I had failed. <laughs> yeah, a compliment. And so yeah. you know, for us to call God incomprehensible or the Trinity incomprehensible is, is somewhat scary, I think. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And so actually just to use the word no, um, right. You, one of the things I know, I know God. And one of the things I know about God is that God is incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like God, God has clearly revealed his incomprehensibility. Uh, I'm going to need to get you to write that chapter for me. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just give up on it. And then, uh, you know, another, uh, another helpful distinction that I've seen some people make is the distinction between apprehending and comprehending. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can apprehend the divine reality, but you can't comprehend it. Yeah, and and you can, you or you can comprehend it, but not exhaustively. That's that's kind of where I'm sort of landing is is, is that and and that and that lack of exhaustibility is what makes God God. We don't want yeah. Him to be exhaustible. It's uh, so helpful to know that this is um, what knowledge of God is like. Period. So that then, when you turn to the doctrine of the Trinity, you can say, "I would expect the same dynamic." to apply to God's triunity, right? Yeah. That I can know it, but not comprehend it. Yeah. So I'm not surprised because a lot of people think 
my theology makes total sense and I've totally got it all locked down except the Trinity, which kind of blows my mind and annoys me. So, yeah. Well, no, actually, you should probably go back and see if you really understand the other divine attributes in the way you think you do. Wow. Yeah. Because the they Trinity, all exceed our understand our comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, how we piecemeal out the attributes of God to different uh, persons within the Trinity. You know, like the Father's powerful. Uh, God, Jesus is love. Uh, the Holy Spirit is present everywhere because he's more of a ghost. You know, and so that, that uh, so understanding the attributes and the Trinity simultaneously is going to give us a better grasp of, 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 of all, of all of the, the doctrines as well. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.